Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we just want to hear from you today. We want to hear from you today. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts uh, these really remarkably straightforward words. But, Lord, sometimes, sometimes your word goes forth, and we just want to be that good soil. Lord, sometimes our soil needs to be plowed up. Sometimes the soil needs the rocks to remove. Sometimes the soil needs the thorns to remove. But, Lord, we want to be good soil. We're here today because we want to be good soil that would receive your word. So please do that work in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. But turn, if you would, to Titus chapter 2. Everybody ready for this? You sitting down? Unless you're, sta- unless you're not sitting down. It's okay if you're not sitting down. Everybody sitting down for this? Verses 1 through 5. Come on, like, wow. What's going on here? Who are you and what would you do with Scott Murphy? So, if you're new or visitor... Not sure the remember last time I not sure when the last time was we covered less than a chapter. I don't know, my wife might remember, but I don't. Uh, but anyway, these words, huh? Nineteen ninety nine. Same year that Keith Smart hit. That was actually eighty seven. It was from the baseline on the left side. Fadeaway jumper, and you can find that picture in any flea. You can probably find that picture down the down the sidewalk. You can find that picture in any flea market in America. That's a whole other story. And as my kids like to tease me, I refer you to the tape on that one. So, all right, Paul is writing to Titus, who is a uh, he's an overseer of a group of churches on the island of Crete. And uh, this is one of the three what we call pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. So we're on the third of the pastoral epistles. And the pastoral epistles are interesting because they give us instruction. We see Paul's instruction to these young pastors, which is great to just be able to kind of listen, right, and, and catch what he was saying to, uh, to other guys. But for us, it also gives us great application for our lives, and particularly our lives as we minister to one another. You've heard me say a million times, I won't belabor the point anymore than what's necessary, but it is necessary that we're all ministers if we're Christians, and we're all in different situations, and, um, and so these pastoral epistles very much apply to us. Now, as a reminder from uh, two weeks ago, because last week we uh, paused for Easter, um, but Two weeks ago, we talked about Paul really is identifying, in a sense, two, if you will, flavors of uh, bad, bad doctrine, bad teaching, 
okay? And the first was uh, highlighted in verse 10 of chapter 1. He said, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. You may know the circumcision is a reference to the Jewish people. The, the Jewish people who become Christians were uh, now Jewish Christians, but many of them wanted to bring their rules into Christianity. It's amazing the power of tradition that comes into Christianity. I can't remember if I mentioned this before, um, but uh, when we were in Israel a few weeks back, we realized there's, did I tell you about the Sabbath elevators? I talked about Sabbath elevators. Yeah, they ha- in Israel today, 2,000 years later, uh, they have, uh, on the Sabbath, the Jewish people have to ride the Sabbath elevator. See, the Sabbath elevator, I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. You cannot make this stuff up. The Sabbath elevator is one that stops at every floor. Because, and it's, and it's just going in and out. And when a door opens, when, the, when it comes here and opens, you've got to get on it. Now, why does it stop at every door, at every floor? Anybody know? Because it's too much work to go and hit three. That's too much work. Can't do that here in 2023 in Israel, right? So what do we all do? What do you do on an elevator? First of all, how fast is that elevator going? Right? Like I, I lost weight waiting for that elevator. <laughs> right? So what do you do? You take the stairs because that's less work than that, right? So the Judy, the, they're called Judaizers, the, the Jewish Christians who now want to like say, yeah, it's great that you love Jesus and, you, and you're saved by grace and circumcision or and, um, you know, keeping the Sabbath. And please let me sound the alarms today. Is that possible today? No, we're not all about circumcision necessarily or the Sabbath, but make no mistake about it, we have our thing, right? And we all have different things. Usually it depends on the church you grew up in. You can almost tell me what kind of church you grew up in, uh, if it's a denominational church, and I can almost tell you, yeah, I bet this is the thing that you kind of struggled with, right? I can tell you the thing I struggled with based on, on those kinds of things. And so we all have this thing where, where we got to be okay with, I'm saved by grace. And, pl- and here's where really it kind of boils down and gets personal. And it's this. If I do that thing, whatever that thing is, whether I keep the Sabbath or whether I tithe or whether I'm a faithful you know, church attender or whatever the thing is, I cannot make God love me any more than he did when I was at the lowest of my low. And even as I say that, in my mind, I'm like, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Right? That's the the error of the Judaizers, past and present. Fair enough? So that's one error, right? We don't want to go that way, right? There's nothing you can do to make God love us anymore. I refer you to Ephesians chapter 2. By grace you've been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right? Well, there's another side of false teaching, right? He references it. He's gonna, we're going to get into it actually next week. Um, it's kind of broken down 
in chapter 2, verse, uh, starting in verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What's Paul attacking here? He's attacking sort of the progressive Christianity. Do we have this today? Hey, don't judge me, man. Don't judge me, man. Because i got to say man more often than Scott Murphy says um. Don't judge me, man. Because Jesus, everybody say it. Everybody say it like a chorus. Jesus hung out with sinners, right? So therefore, don't judge me, man. Right? I can do whatever I want. As a matter of fact, because you just got done telling me I'm saved by grace. And there's nothing I can do to earn God's favor any more than I've already been granted God's favor. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry uh, because I'm saved by grace, man. You like that? On one hand, it seems like, yeah, you did say you're saved by grace, and, and yet there's just something that doesn't set right there, right? right? And Paul addresses it beautifully in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 6. He starts out, you know, he's been building this case uh, in the, through the first five chapters of Romans. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. You know, there's the righteousness of the law that didn't really, you know, nobody could keep that. But now a righteousness apart from the law has been revealed to mankind, right? The, the idea that we're all saved by grace and, and, and that's, you know, that supersedes the law and all of that. And then chapter 6, verse 1, he goes on. So what should we say? That let us just keep on sinning so grace may abound? He says, no way. No way. How can you, having been dead to sin and now being set to life by Jesus Christ, continue to walk in that? Right? And so you see these two ideas? On one hand, we got the legalists. On, one, on the other hand, we got the progressives. Right? Do we see that today? You bet we do. You bet we do. And where do we need to be? We need to be... Uh, ready to address this, he says. But as for you, so now we're answering those questions, okay? And specifically in chapter 1, he is talking about the insubordinate uh, Judaizers, but he's telling Titus now, but as for you, speak the things which are, of, are proper for sound doctrine. So, but as for you, don't give heed to Jewish fables. Don't give heed to deceivers, idle talkers, especially those of the legalists, right? You know, particularly, he goes on, he says, uh, you know, those guys, uh, they do it for dishonest gain. Can I just pause there for a second to tell us, you know, if we have an opportunity to minister to someone, can I just say this? Blessing another person, and I'm, I know I'm speaking to the choir now on this one, blessing another person is its own reward, is it not? The fact that you can just bless somebody, the fact that you can pray for somebody, you don't need any kind of ulterior motive or dishonest gain. You have a privilege of blessing somebody if, if we're others-minded. If we are others-minded. If we're thinking about others and how can I bless others. And, uh, and if I understand that I need to take my focus off myself long enough to look at what might be the needs of others and realize, whoa, I have an opportunity to bless others. 
right? That's its own reward. That's its own reward. And he said, instead, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So speak. Why do we speak? Why do we speak things? We speak things all the time, right? Often we speak things to express our, our needs or our wants. But we have opportunity to speak things to other people, right? So as to influence them, right? And that's what he's talking about. He wants Titus to speak to other people things for sound doctrine. So he wants Titus to influence other people. I make a point about this because I want to influence you with what I say today. We want to influence one another toward godliness. And we have an opportunity to do that all the time. The things for sound doctrine, the word means uh, pure, true, healthy. So truth is, God wants us to be healthy spiritually, right? Young kids that grow, in, grow up in healthy-minded families usually have some, some argument somewhere along the line related to what? Food, right? I'm talking about health, right? What's, what's our biggest um, modifiable factor related to our health through the course of our life? Food, right? What's your mama want you to eat? Sunday cereal? We call it Sunday cereal, right? Sunday cereal, we used to... Do we still do this? Yeah. I'm on top of it. We have what's called Sunday cereal. Sunday cereal is the stuff I grew up on, right? You know what I grew up on, right? Lucky Charms, Count Dracula, all the biggies, right? And I learned about them watching Saturday Rot Your Brain cartoons all morning. A little tore up that they started, they started winding down at 1 o'clock. Had to wait three hours till Wide World Sports came on. But anyway, Sunday cereal, right? Does your mother want you to eat Sunday cereal? Really? And we call it Sunday cereal because, like, we're busy on Sunday mornings getting ready, so we kind of cave on, on those on Sunday. You know, everybody gets it once a week, right? What if we all, you know, we, we should eat healthy. Is that fair? How about much more spiritually? Sound doctrine. Let's take in sound doctrine. Let's live sound doctrine. Let's eat and drink sound doctrine. So much that it becomes normal for us, right? I tell my patients all the time, you know, if you just, like, get rid of Mountain Dew, like, if we got rid of Mountain Dew, everybody's still with me? <laughs> no, I've lost some already. <laughs> Give me time. I'll lose the rest of you here before we're done. <laughs> if we got rid of Mountain Dew in our society, how much healthier would we be? Right? And I tell my patients all the time, Stop Mountain Dew. Test me on this, you naysayers. Stop Mountain Dew for a month and then tell me you still crave it. Right? Now, how does that apply spiritually? Walk in sound doctrine day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Guess what? Are you then perfect? No, but that becomes what's your norm. 
That becomes normal. You become, you, ne- you wake up one day and you realize, you know, I'm kind of getting defined by the Word of God. My life looks to the Word of God for answers. And you start to think like that, and you start to live like that, and you start to become that. That's what happens when, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Now, he then goes from, chapter, uh, from verses 2 through 10. Um, Paul's going to go through, and this is, time, this is great because I'm going to talk about children here in a minute. Okay, and I'm going to affirm children. So, you know, if you've got a crying baby in here, we're going to roll with it. Okay, we are a church that rolls with crying babies. Okay, everybody good with that? Yeah, if you want, you know, we've got speakers in the back. If you'd rather, you know, just for your own whatever peace of mind and all that, if you want to sit out there, um, that's okay. But we're going to roll with your babies. We'll get to that in a minute. Verses 2 through 10 sort of then go into this thing where we're going to break down the body of Christ a little bit in terms of different groups of people. Okay? Are we all the same? No. Do we all have the same situations in life, the same circumstances, the same demographics, the same all of that? No. No. Is that okay? It's totally okay. And I think... And not to get into a big, long thing, but first of all, let me just say this. I've said it before, I'll say it again. We don't have the corner on the market on how to do church here at this church. We just have, like, this is what we do as best as we can discern, okay? Please hear me on that. I don't pretend to have all the answers by any means. The Scripture does, but I don't, okay? So as I look to the Scripture... We as a body here, I'm a huge proponent of us being together. Fair enough? Raise your hand if you're under 18 in this room. Real high. Real high. That warms my heart, right? Does that warm your heart? I think that needs to define us. Right? The body of Christ is the body of Christ. So I don't see when Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, I don't see, now it says he went up on a hillside and he sat down, and once they got rid of all the kids, he began to teach. Does he say that? I'm just a guy that reads the Bible. I'm not an expert. Not a theologian. Just a guy. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say... You know, once he got rid of all the old people, now he can get down to business. Did he say that? No. Does society say that? Sometimes. Does the church sometimes say that? Sometimes. And so, too often, I think the church divides up into 50 different subgroups, right? Some of you, like I grew up in a church that had Sunday school classes. Is there anything wrong with Sunday school classes? Not in them themselves. But I don't feel the need to divide us up. Now part of this is just logistic. We're a small church and that's okay. Divide it up into 
50 subgroups, there'd be a couple in each group, right? But I think it's healthy for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. Is that fair? So that's kind of a little bit of definition on who we are. Definitely not a corner on the market, you know, but I think it's healthy. I want my, I've always said this. I want my kids to grow up knowing how to have a conversation with somebody that's not their age. Is that too much to ask? Can most kids growing up in America today, can normal kids growing up in America today, by the way, we're all abnormal, but so can normal kids growing up in America today have a conversation with somebody that's 40 years older than them? It, frankly, it, it bless my heart today. I happen to know we had a 44-year-old age span in our two guitarists, right? Is that cool? I'm all about it, right? So I laid that out. Everybody okay with that? Everybody know where I stand on that? Okay, good. Having said that, we're all in different situations. Some of us are older. Some of us are younger. Some of us are married. Some of us are not married. Some of us have been married. Some of us haven't been married. All of that, and that's all a healthy part of the body. Okay? So having said that, we're going to talk about some different uh, groups, if you will. And I like that as Paul describes this, he's talking about these different groups, and there are some particular instructions for each of these different groups. And if you don't find yourself falling into one of these groups, that's okay. These are still good teaching principles. All right? And so the important thing, I think, is wherever we're at, you know, I love, the, one of my favorite examples of this is Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's talking about marriage. And he's talking about, you know what, if you're single, that's awesome. There are pros and cons about being single. If you're single, you don't have to worry about pleasing a spouse. You can just focus on the Lord. That's a great thing, right? If you're married, that's also a great thing, right? And marriage is upheld in the Scripture. And also, I like that singleness is upheld in the Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is probably my favorite in that kind of setting, right? And so, as, even as I talk about these different groups, if you find yourself, oh, I'm not in that group, does that diminish your value at all as a part of the body of Christ? Not at all. We're just talking about there's some specific instructions to each of these, each of these groups. Is that fair? Didn't offend anybody yet? Too bad? Okay. We'll get there. All right, group number one. The older men should be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Now, older men, what does that mean? You know what older men means? Older than the guy standing next to you, right? That's why I love to hang out with older men. Makes me a younger man, right? But you know what it means. I mean, my, I love my little study Bible here says, uh, older men refers to men older than about 50. Where do they get that? Right? Appreciate if you're offended by that. Me too. It's just a study Bible. What do they know? But I like that older is not necessarily defined. Older, younger, but let me just say this, if you're a younger man, or you'd like to think of yourself as a younger man, these are principles of a godly older man. These are principles of a mature man. Because hopefully, I can tell you at least in my life, as I've gotten older, 
I've gotten a little more mature, right? As I've gotten older, some of these things are a little more a part of who I, who I am, at least want to be, right? And I remember when I was younger, there would be a lot of these I'd read, and I'd, ooh, that's not, ooh, ooh, that kind of hurts, right? And so these are just principles that we need to uh, look toward. So, older men need to be sober. We've discussed this before in the context of elders. What does sober mean? Means means you need to know I'm serious. I can be serious. I can be funny. I can be uh, lighthearted, right? But you need to know when I'm serious. And I'm sorry for the sake of repetition, in case you haven't heard my favorite story on this, is Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah is about ready to go down. Lot... Lot is told by the angels, get out of here. Is that serious? If I said, we're going to have fire and brimstone rain down on Madison, Indiana in about two hours, we need to get out of here. Is that serious? That's serious, right? Lot tells his son-in-laws, hey, we've got to get the family and get out of here. His son-in-laws thought he was joking. So, that tells me not so much about that moment, that tells me about Lot's character up until that point. That his son-in-laws, in that moment of truth, can't even tell if he's joking or he's serious. Sober means you need to know when I'm serious. We have a rule in our house, right? If we're, if we're playing around or we're joking or we're whatever, right? If, if person A says to person B, all right, I'm serious, person B has to be serious. That's been a rule as long as I can remember, Right? Older men need to be sober. Reverent. Reverent. I need to express respect even to people that I don't agree with. I was talking to a guy earlier about this. This is something, this is an art <laughs> that takes a long time to perfect. I can tell you this, I, there was a day when I was not that guy. See, because here's, the, here's one of the Here's one of the things I'm going to ask the Lord when I get there. Why do you make young men so passionate and they learn how to be passionate before they learn how to be respectful? Does that apply to anybody? Me. Right? Now, I'm old enough. I'm still passionate. I'm a little more selectively passionate. Right? Nate tells me, can't wait till I get to your age. <laughs> lose all those hormones and you know, just be kind of chilled and sit around and get along with agree with everybody right <laughs> I still got a lot of fire right still got some fire it's just tempered fire right I'm even honestly catch this now if you can have a respectful conversation with somebody that you don't agree with how powerful is that what kind of an opportunity is that in this political landscape that we live in? Fair enough? And I'll tell you even this. I was telling a guy earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for those opportunities so I can hone this skill, frankly. I, I'll tell you uh, just a personal story. I, w I got a call uh, a couple months ago. I, I can't remember if I I'm, I'm losing track on what I've told you. That goes with time, too. But I may have told you this before. Did I tell you about the Jefferson County Board of Health? Yes. Okay, a couple of you. Okay, either one or two things. Either you two were awake that time, 
or I've just told you privately. But anyway, I got a call a couple months ago, months or two ago, um, saying there's a vacancy in the uh, Jefferson County, the, the board of the Jefferson County Health Department. Would you please consider being on that board? Now, some of you know that I'm a little bit fired up. Have I told you that the healthcare system is broken? I know I've told you that. I won't go a week without telling you the healthcare system in Jefferson County and America is broke, and United States is broken. It's broken. It's way broken. It's crazy broken, but I won't go. I'll stop there, right? And so I told this person, the, the chairperson of, this, of the board, I said, you know, before you really invite me to be on this board, let me tell you a little bit about myself that you may or may not know. So I told her a little bit about myself. And she's like, all right, we need a little passion on this board. I'm like, all right, I'm working on my honed skill of passionate respect, right? Because I'm going to disagree with some people on that board, right? Like, do we have problems and do we have health problems in Jefferson County that are bigger than diphtheria? Raise your hand. Any, any health problems that supersede diphtheria? Right? Right? So we're spending, I don't know how much money on diphtheria billboards? Really? Oh, I can't wait to get on this board. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Right? Having said that, I should also be temperate. Temperate is translated elsewhere as sober. Uh, in verse 5 of this chapter, it's translated as discreet. The idea is this person needs to be tame. An older godly man needs to be a little bit tame. All right? Sound in faith. Kind of like sound doctrine we said earlier. Sound in faith. Does that just mean intellectual? No. That means living by faith. Now, we've said before, what does it mean to live by faith? Does that mean I've got to really like, believe that God can, you know, it, it means I need to believe just enough to obey what he says. I need to believe just enough to obey what he says according to his word. Right? When God told the Israelites, tell you what you need to do on this last night of the plagues, you need to kill a lamb, you need to sprinkle its blood on the, door, on the doorpost, and if that happens, your house will be spared the death of the firstborn. Now, the people that did that Guess what they had? Faith. They, saw it. they thought, they might have thought, that seems crazy. They might have thought, I've never heard of anything like that before. But they thought, what the heck? I've seen God do nine plagues in the nation so far. I don't think I'm going to take a chance. I think I'm going to kill the lamb. I think I'm going to do what he says. Because, I've se because of what I've seen him do thus far. Have we seen him do thus far in our lives and in history and throughout the Scripture, have we seen him do enough thus far that when he says to do something today, we can say, that seems a little weird, but okay. He tells Joshua to march around a city and yell. And Joshua says, sounds crazy. Didn't learn that at West Point, but okay. Right? And that's walking by faith, right? This person, this older man, needs to be sober, reverent, 
temperate, sound in faith. It needs to also be sound in love. Again, we mentioned last week, uh, there are three Greek words that are translated love. There's eros, really the sort of the, the love between a husband and a wife. There's phileo, like a friend kind of a love. And there's agape, the selfless love, like self-sacrificing love like God has for us. That's what this is. This is the self-sacrificing love. An older man, a mature, older, godly man needs to know how to self-sacrifice in love for others. Simple as that. An older man who's obsessed with what he wants and he wants it now and he wants it and he wants it and he wants it. Guess what? That's not what we're talking about here. I don't want to be that, right? Also in patience. What does patience here mean? Strong's Dictionary says, cheerful endurance. I love that. Cheerful endurance. Another word that they, in the definition, constancy. Am I a guy that bounces around all the time? Like, can't decide what I want? I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a guy. You know what I love? I love that I'm just a guy that gets to do what I do pretty much same this week as I did last week. Right? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Verse 3, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. Older women, right? Similar stuff, right? Respectful, not slanderous, not given to much wine, right? Those are all pretty self-explanatory. Can I tell you this? A dignified, respectful, not slanderous woman walking in godliness, that is a powerful, powerful force for good in the body of Christ. Look at these words. Reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. Not slanderers. Not given to much wine. Those are powerful words. That's a great thing for an older woman to be. What else do we need to know about this older woman? She needs to be a teacher of good things. Now, this word teachers of good things, it's all one Greek word that's translated teachers of good things. Interestingly, this is the only place in the entire Bible this word is mentioned. Teachers of good things. I think this has a unique message because it's the only place it's used in the Bible. Teachers of good things. And I want you to notice also, up until now, we've been talking about Paul's instructions to Titus and what Titus needs to tell these churches, okay? Now we're talking about older women within the church who are going to be teachers of good things. Do you see the idea here? Now we're talking about teaching within the body. Does that make sense? We've been talking about teaching to the body. Now we're going to start talking. Now it's, it's, a, it's a subtle word teachers of good things, but now it's important to know, now we're talking about teaching within the body. And what are, we, what are we talking about in that context? We're talking about older women teaching younger women. All right? So the pastor is not the only teacher in the church. The Sunday school teacher is not the only teacher in the church. The teachers are the teachers within the church. And let me just say this. We're going to talk here about older women and younger women. But let me just say this. 
There's a vital ministry of people teaching within the church, right? With one person teaching another person or one person teaching a group of people within the church. That's vital. I think it's healthy when it's organic. I think it's healthy when, you know, it's just, it just sort of happens. We're, pr- we're pretty deliberately unstructured in these things here because I wanted to just have the freedom to... to carry out as the Lord would direct. So what are these women, what are these older women supposed to teach these younger women? That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Boom! Home run. Home run. Now, I'm going to break these down a little bit. Is that fair? It's got to be. I'm going to teach it. Okay? But I'm going to break these down a little bit. Consider this for a second. These verses can be controversial in our society. Fair enough so far? These verses can, these verses can be controversial in our society. They could be considered not normal in our society. Still fair? Can I suggest for something? If you ever, and I'm not talking about these verses or in and of themselves, but I'm talking about any scripture. If you find yourself at a crossroads where you see something that's pretty clearly written out in scripture as a command, and you see it to be contrary to what is normal in society, I would like for you to ask the question, well, how's society working out these days? Number one. And number two, is the Bible relevant or not? Is the Bible relevant or not? Let's just walk through this little exercise, shall we? Number one, how's society doing these days? Not well. D minus on a good day. Number two, can we stand on the Word of God? Are you sure? Can we stand on the Word of God? So, that's what it says. I think, of it, I think a little bit like this. Our society, in our society, there are many tasks that we have to do as human beings, right? In life, we grow up, we have many tasks to do in life. I see this as a doctor all the time because I see people kind of dealing with different phases of life. And usually there's some social uh, tasks that they have to do. There's some physical tasks. There's some you know, emotional tasks. There's all kinds of different things that people do as they navigate from birth to death, right? So you got a few jobs to do between birth and death. So can we walk through them a little bit? Thank you. So, let's say for starting out, let's say you're born, okay, and um, skip the first like five or six years because we don't care about kids around here. Just kidding. Just check and see if you're still awake. Let's say for those first couple decades, roughly speaking, you need to kind of learn how to sort of read and write Prepare yourself for maybe a career, maybe a job that 
is going to be like kind of how you, I'm just talking very generally now. I'm not talking, I'm, I'm breaking away from the groups, groupings here for a second. You, you're going to kind of grow up and learn, you know, some basic skills, you know, how to read and write, maybe pre preparation for a career. Does everybody kind of do that? What does our society give, give to that? Our society gives about, I mean, in some cases, a long time for that, right? I mean, I did that for about 30 years, okay, for a job, okay, and a contribution to society, hopefully, right? That's a, gener that's a generous uh, investment of social energy into that task. Fair enough? Okay, what about uh, your task of what to do with that money? How much training goes into that? You ever listen to Dave Ramsey on the radio or podcast? You know, I used to listen to him a little bit. I love Dave Ramsey. Okay, don't get me wrong. But I quit listening to him. Why did I quit listening to him? Because he says the same thing every time. Right? I got to where, you know, I'd listen to him on, when we were on vacation, when I'm driving and everybody else is asleep, I'd listen to him so it kind of helped me keep awake. I'm thinking about money, it kind of keeps me awake. And, like, the caller would call in, describe the situation, and in my mind I'm like doing this little, this little kind of thing in my mind, like, I bet he's going to say this. And after a little while, you kind of know exactly what he's going to say, Right? And it's like, somehow, like, I mean, he's a bazillionaire because he's so successful at this education that he's mastered, right? Well, God bless him. But really, like, we learn for the first 20 or so years how to make money, and we never learn what to do with that money, right? Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? There's a, here's where I'm going with this. There's a disproportionate amount of investment for the tasks that we have to do. Here's, consider some others. How to prepare for marriage. Is marriage a reasonably important task to navigate in this life? Married people? Is that a pretty reasonable, I mean, we're going to call that an important job. How much, like, investment goes into that compared to, like, you know, growing up learning how to be an engineer or whatever? Now, if you've got a really diligent pastor, he'll make you go through four weeks of premarital counseling. If he's on top of his game. Four or five, what a six maybe. Seven if they're remedial. Right? Just kidding, I've never had a remedial situation. But you see the idea? Marriage gets this much preparation. And those of us that have been married for a while, we would say, dude. I wish I'd have had a little more preparation, right? Child-rearing. Is that important? How much education do we get on child-rearing? I remember, I think when, when, well, back in the 90s, <laughs> I think they make you watch a video at the hospital how to, like, properly hook up your car seat. Right? Then they say, see ya. Right? Are we out of balance here as a society? Yeah, just a little bit. Honestly? 
I deal with this one all the time. How to grow old. How much training do we get how to grow old? Formal training. Nada. Zip. Just trust your doctor and the public health officials. Right? How about how to die? Now we're getting serious. You know how most people prepare for death and dying in America today? I'm convinced. I'm wholeheartedly convinced. I'm a little bit passionate about this. You know how most people prepare for death and dying? They pretend it won't happen. They pretend it's not going to happen. They pretend it's not going to happen. You know, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've been to a couple lately. Cool funerals lately, by the way, in this body. But I've been to funerals over the years where it's like, this was a big deal. And I've been to some funerals that are like amazing. They're like honoring to the Lord and honoring to the person. And that person, that person died well, if I can say it that way. And that person planned for those that would remain. And he did it well. And I've seen other situations. I remember one guy, he left very specific instructions which socks he was to wear in his casket. And it was very important that both halves of the casket were up so we could all see his socks. And that, le that man left behind so much family chaos, so much the man had such an opportunity for godliness that was frankly just squandered. But he had some awesome socks in that casket. Do you want that to be said of you? No. So, could it be? So, society has this disproportionate preparation and training for the the significance of the jobs that we have. Fair enough? The Bible does it right. And society does it wrong, by and large. And I think it's okay for us to wrap our heads around that a little bit. Yeah. So, could it be that the Bible has practical insights that are proportionate to the need to navigate the challenges of this life? Yes. These verses are a great example. So, let's start. These are teachers of good things. So, we're going to call these good things. Now, if you're an older woman, you are admonished. That's a strong word for teach. You are admonished to teach these things to younger women particularly if you're an older woman who's had a husband and children and you're talking to a younger woman that has a husband and children, okay? And again, I said earlier, not everybody's in this demographic, okay? But for now, we're talking about this demographic because uh, Paul is, okay? But if you're an older woman who's had a husband and children, you are commanded to 
teach these things to younger women. You teach them by word and example. Again, the best teaching is by far organic experience. If you're a younger woman, particularly a younger woman with a husband and children, the Bible's telling you to receive from these older women. Now, you have a responsibility to discern who is walking in godliness because there's lots of free advice out there. I remember when Tracy was young. Still is. <laughs> Tracy's always a younger woman than me. I remember when she was chronologically young. Her. Her. Chronologically younger. Uh, she's still biologically young. But when she was chronologically younger. Wow, is it hot in here? When she was chronologically younger, I, I, I kid you not, I'm serious now. I'm serious, okay? Unlike Lot, I'm serious now. And we had, you know, we had little kids, seemed like they were everywhere. They still are. I remember her being desperate. She was desperate for this. She was so desperate, she had to find these, she had to go out and find these older women. And she found them in books, honestly. Because the church didn't... Boy, i got to be careful. Can I just call it? Can I just call it out? The older women in the church were too busy doing women's ministry. And... Tracy felt like the, the vibe was, tell you what, when your baby just cried, we're trying to have a Bible study here. If a baby cries in this room, I will roll with it. If you want to take your baby out, have at it. If the person next to you can't hear what I'm saying, okay, be a little sensitive. But by and large, we're going to roll with it. And I remember being so burdened for my wife, who was just hungry for a little, a little dose of a Titus II older woman. And so I know what that was like. Ladies, if you have some of that wisdom? Don't cram it down her throat. But be ready to give some help. Something other than, hey, once you get your kids out of your way, we can do Bible study together. Okay? I'm not, I'm not, not, not everybody. And that's, I'm, I don't want to be too critical. I'm saying, it's possible to have, I mean, if there's such thing as women's ministry, and again, I like organic, I like unstructured, I like, you know, I like how can I pray for you kind of ministry. Okay, that's just me, right? 
But if there's a thing for women, if there's instruction for women's ministry, now we're talking about women that are married with children. This is the instruction. Is it normal? Not really. Is it the Word of God? Yes, really. So, what are, they supposed to, what are they supposed to teach the younger women? Number one, how to love their husbands. i got to tell you something I discovered a few years ago. I told you there are three Greek words. Quiz time now, right? Everybody ready for school? Got just a few minutes left in you for school? There's eros, there's phileo, and there's agape. Older women are admonished to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. Do you think it's Eros? Do you think she needs, like, schooling on how to Eros her husband? Now, maybe, but this is church, right? Phileo or agape, which do you think it is? Raise your you think it's agape. It's phileo. I think this is so powerful. It's phileo. Ladies, hear me on this. God wired you in such a way that giving of yourself and thinking of others is a little more natural to you. Right? I don't have to tell you how to like sacrifice for somebody. Men, that's another story. Ladies, I think God didn't necessarily need to tell you to agape your husbands because you want to do that, right? What did God tell Eve? Your desire is going to be for your husband. You're wired that way. I do think there's something that ladies need to be schooled on a little bit, coached on a little bit. You need to be his buddy. You need to be his friend. I love hanging out with my wife. She's my best friend. Sometimes, ladies, that means you need to learn how to do stuff that might not be altogether natural. I love. Can I tell you one of my favorite things to do? Yes, I can tell you one of my favorite things to do. One of my favorite things to do is stand in the creek. <laughs> this sounds silly. You'll think, he cried over that. Are you kidding me? I love to stand in the creek, fishing. with my fishing buddy, right? And she'll stand there in the creek, not with her Sunday best on, just say, I'm your fishing buddy, right? Is that cool? That's way cool. That's way cool. Whatever your husband's thing is, let me just say this. Husbands, we're going to get to this in a minute, but that's not a blank slate for 
you need to adopt my hobbies. <laughs> right? This thing could go really south really quick. Right? Husbands? The other side of that is, Tracy's my hobby. Tracy's my hobby. Tracy's my hobby. They need to love their children. You think you need to school a woman how to agape her children in a sacrificial way? Not really. Sometimes you need to school your, your young women. You know what? It seems overwhelming maybe in, in time. But you know what? You just be friends with that kid. Right? It's phileo. It's phileo. We should have a fondness for our children. And he goes on, he says, you should be discreet. Older women admonish the young women to be discreet. Same word is translated temperate in verse 2. She needs to be tame. Right? She needs to be chaste. This means innocent or modest. Innocent or modest. First Peter chapter 3 defines the, the hidden beauty of a woman who's got a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. There's something beautiful about a chaste woman. She needs to be a homemaker. Right? You think, wait a minute, you just lost me. I knew we were going to get here sooner or later. So this question always comes up, right? Does this mean a wife can't work outside the home, right? Can I say this? We're talking about something way bigger than whether or not a wife can work outside the home. Way bigger. The word, the Greek word, means to be domestically inclined. Again, we're talking about children, uh, women with children at home. The word means domestically inclined. Is that a mandate for, you know, you can't work here, you can't do this, you can't, whatever. It's, it's way beyond that. Having said that, and, and please know there are lots of situations, I'm aware there are lots of situations, uh, there are lots of, uh, just lots of unique situations. Everybody's got their own circumstances. But a woman, even if she has to work, needs to be domestically inclined, the scripture says. Again, is that normal? No. Let's say a woman doesn't have to work. Awesome. I can go to, like, church meetings and Bible study and travel soccer and make my life spin out of control. Right? So we're not talking about just work. We're talking about domestically inclined. Home needs to be a place of nurture. Home needs to be a place of nurture. And honestly, if there's a common thread of much, of much, of much of the brokenness of our society, it's the brokenness of a home, particularly a home with children in it. Younger women, be careful, to be, be careful about being too busy or too preoccupied with things other than home, even if they seem to be good things. Older women, admonish the younger women, just what I said. 
Fair enough? Obedient to their own husbands. Now we're talking. Obedient to their own husbands. We're almost done. Obedient to their own husbands. Can I give you one biblical example that always comes up in the context of this as I, that I think of? Remember Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, I believe it was? Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They had this great plan. I think Ananias came up with it because um, it says Ananias along with Sapphira, his wife. Ananias had this great plan. Man, the church was just getting off the ground. It was awesome. There were people getting saved. People were, people were like selling property and giving the money to the church. And it was just, it was electric. And Ananias and Sapphira got all caught up in this. And Ananias says, yeah, we got, we got a little bit of real estate. Let's sell it. And let's even do this because the church is electric. And Barnabas just did this and everybody said he's awesome. So let's sell the land and give part of the money to the church and tell the church that that was the total price of the land. Many of you know the story, right? She says, yeah, sure, whatever. Because she's being obedient to her own husband. Titus chapter 2. Ananias walks in. Peter says, did you sell the land? That's awesome. You're giving us this money. Where'd you get it? Well, I sold some land. Wow, so that was the price of the land? Yeah, that's the whole price. Peter says, how can you lie to the Holy Spirit? Like, don't you know that God can see through that? And guess what? Boom. He died. Right? They haul him out. About three hours later, his wife comes in. His obedient wife. She walks in. Hey, Peter, Peter says, hey, Ananias just gave us some money. Was that the whole price of the property? Yeah, whole thing. Boom. You're dead with your husband. Does obedient mean blindlessly obedient? No. It means obedient to your husband as he is obedient to the Lord. Got it, ladies? If your husband is walking contrary to the Lord, that's a whole other Bible study. I refer you to 1 Peter chapter 3. There's, there's some principles for that. But, you know, have you noticed, husbands and wives, that there's a lot of things in life that aren't quite Ananias and Sapphira, but they're kind of like, well, I don't want to do that. Right? And so, ladies, if you have an opportunity to say, yeah, whatever, fish or chicken, I don't care. Right? That might go, that might go a little ways. Verse 11. Look at this. Oh, I'm sorry, number, number 11. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. You know what happens when these principles are violated? What happens to the Word of God, according to Titus chapter 2? The Word of God is blasphemed. Can I suggest that's a strong word? Can I suggest that's a strong word? When the Word of God is blasphemed, when these, these principles are not adhered to. That's a big deal. Is there blasphemy of the Word of God in our society today? Yeah, there is. Could it be because there's been sort of a degradation of biblical principles in our society today? Could be. 
Could it be that there's a degradation of biblical principles as it relates to the family today? Could be. Are these hard words to listen to? Sometimes. Are they scripture? Yes, they are. Would we do better standing on social norms or biblical truth? Biblical truth. So whatever your situation, your phase of life, please know this. Scripture gives some great principles for practical living. Often they seem contrary to our culture, but that's okay. We should be, we should be evaluating our, our culture through the grid of Scripture, not through what's culturally normal. Because what's culturally normal is not always what's best for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these truths. Sometimes hard to receive. Sometimes taken out of context. But Lord, powerful truths of Scripture. Lord, help us to be teachable. Help us to be moldable by your Holy Spirit. Through your word that we may live lives that would bring about change in our lives and in our community and in this world that would bring glory and honor to you. So have your way with us, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everybody. Have an awesome, awesome week.